Hi, my name's Rich Nadwarney, and welcome to Innovation Explorers, Hello Future's English podcast that dives into the challenges and rewards of innovation. Each episode, we talk with people on the front lines of innovation and change work as they share their unique perspectives on some of the most common issues we face. This podcast is primarily for those of you working in large and mid-sized organizations who want to get your change and innovation initiatives moving faster, better, and with more internal alignment. This week, I'm speaking with Lori Loeb, professor of computer science and founder of the Dolly Lab at Dartmouth College, and her colleague Talia Wheatley, professor of human relations and the director of the Consortium for Interacting Minds in the Psychological and Brain Sciences Department, also at Dartmouth College. In this podcast, we're talking about designing for delight and joy, those small, hugely valuable moments for ourselves and our brains, and how we don't really need to spend all of our time fixing or solving things. Welcome, Lori and Talia. It's really fun to have you on our podcast, Innovation Explorers, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. As kind of an introduction, you guys both work at Dartmouth College, but I've also noticed there's like this huge list of your like titles. And so <laughs> rather than me listing all of those or saying the wrong one, what do you do there? Well, I'm a, this is Lori. I'm a professor in the computer science department, and I'm also the director of a lab called the Dolly Lab, the Digital Applied Learning and Innovation Lab. It's a lab that I started. It's sort of a tech and design lab. And with about 95 students working in the lab on projects from all over the world, building digital tools for them. And then I um, am the director of a digital arts program. So a program that sits at the intersection of computer science and art. Thanks. And Talia. Yes, I'm Talia Wheatley, and I am also a professor at Dartmouth, but I'm in the psychological and brain sciences department. I direct my own lab, which is social systems lab, and I direct a multi-lab research center called the Consortium for Interacting Minds that's dedicated to understanding how people interact. And I am also a faculty at the Santa Fe Institute. Okay. So... We've got brains and cognitive science. We've got computer and art. You know, Lori, you and I worked together previously, and you've been hinting at this book or this collaboration that you guys are doing around design for <laughs> delight. And I'm like, oh boy, send me a copy. And so we, we're not quite there yet. But tell me about this. Like, what what do you mean? Why are you guys working on this? Why why this thing design for delight? What got you two working together on it? You go, Talia. Okay. Well. Let me take the why did we start working together on it? We just adore each other. We've been friends for a very long time. And we have to, we've co-taught various classes at Dartmouth. And we were uh, in Thailand because Lori was invited to do to judge a social innovation uh, competition there. And I was sort of tagged along. And we got talking in Thailand about the importance of delight. Um, and from my perspective as a psychologist and neuroscientist, I'm just I'm sort of baffled by the fact that delight is such a big part of our lives, and yet we know very little of the science behind it. So that's my sort of draw, but Lori's coming at it from a completely different direction. But we're both very, very interested in this idea of delight. Yeah, and from my side, 
I'm interested in how do you design for it? How do you how do you make products and services and experiences for people that bring delight? And we can talk a little bit more about what that means, but it is this word that's so there's not a good dictionary definition for it. We all know what it is, but we it has it's gotten kind of a bad rep in the in the design world because it um people say, oh, let's bring delight to our customers, but nobody really knows what that is or how to create it and or even why it matters. It just seems like a cool thing to do. And so we wanted to get past the buzz and into what this is really, why this is really important in for people. Okay, I buy it. So what is it? What do you mean when you say delight? And uh, and and how do we do this? Why, you know, what do we do with it? What's delight? Talia has a has a sort of um psychological, you know, using psychology terms way of defining it. I think it's one of those things that you know when you feel it. It's this moment when your eyes kind of open up and your you know, your heart beats maybe a little faster. It's um Talia always describes it as clapping like with your fingers out. That sort of, you know, <laughs> like when you when you're little and you see fireworks and it's just like, <gasps> you know, that moment and you're, and it's just this, this brief moment of just extreme connection with your feeling and the thing that you're watching or experiencing. And that's, what's one of the things that's extremely powerful about it. That's right. This, uh, this moment, uh, in, in scientific terms, it's called, uh, reward prediction error, which is, um, you know, it is science with what science does best, right? It takes something as wonderful, as beautiful as delight, and it calls it reward prediction error. And it basically just means the moment when you predicted something and what occurred was better than expected. And you get this little burst of dopamine uh, with that's associated with sort of anticipation. Um, and it's pleasurable. Uh, you get this little jolt this little, and it's very, very shortly lived. And what it does is it draws you in. It draws you into whatever uh, was happening because you're, the brain is basically saying, oof, okay, we didn't think that was going to happen. What was that about? I want more of that. And so I think of it as sort of the emotion of discovery and it, and it really pulls you in to the moment um, so that you learn more about it. And we know that children have this, right? A kid can walk down the sidewalk and it'll take them an hour because they're noticing each crack and they're getting excited by each bug. Uh, there's such a focus. They have sort of this um, wide range of interest. Their eyes, they're not so interested in getting to the end of the sidewalk. They're interested in just enjoying each moment along the way. And sometimes we see seniors doing the same thing. And somewhere along the line, we become too cool for it, or we lose our ability and we're very much focused on goals and just getting things done. And we're, you know, not paying attention in the same way and not as open. And so one of the things that is interesting to us is, you know, how can we all benefit from understanding this, you know, that that moment? Why do we lose it and, and how do we get it back? So it sounds a little bit like this uh, this feeling of discovery, you know, the joy of discovery as we're kind of moseying through life and taking actually the time to look at these things that we didn't see before. Um, and and in one way, it seems like the antithesis of efficiency, 
of getting from, mm. you know, point A to point B as fast as we can, which is how most businesses run and what we're focused on. That's and and then the other piece too is like even as consumers, you know, we want to make things seamless and easy. And then there are also maybe these delightful little things. I'm thinking I had a conversation with someone around design ethics a couple of weeks ago and about Mm -hmm. these little dopamine kicks, right, that are being built into social media to get people hooked on those. But that's not really what you mean either, right? That's right. I mean, there's that book hooked and it's all about how do you get people to come back and, you know, the whole the whole thing of um, streaks and rewards and and like buttons and that it just, you know, Netflix keeps playing the next movie and these things that are just built to addict you to things or hold your attention. This is really uh, different in that sort of the definition of it is this you have to have this anticipation of what it's going to be and then the experience is better than predicted it's that positive prediction error and then it and it has to be a certain le- amount better than that prediction error uh, so mm. it can't just be a small oh that tastes better than i thought it has to be a oh like th- and it's not there is dopamine involved right but it's that's not the end goal the end goal is really to open people up to that to get people i mean i believe life is about these little moments we happiness is something we strive for but it's a steady state and it's pretty hard to maintain but how do you get there is by paying attention and just being open to to those it's almost the antithesis of what they're trying to do in this kind of hooked business model, right? Yeah. Right. Compulsion, addiction, these things, that's not what we're talking about, but that's really what the business model is there. This is really, just as Lori said, about paying attention, right? I think Lori uh, has this great quote Mm -hmm. that she um, says often, that delight is the gift of paying attention. So you really need to be, your, your full self is there paying attention to what's going on, not being controlled by somebody else or some other system. Yeah. So when was the last time each of you experienced a moment of delight? Mm. I mean, I submitted a grant today, which was like horrendously trying and wearing. And then suddenly it was in and it was, and actually I anticipated a lot more pain and suddenly it was just it was just in and done and off my plate. And that was a moment of delight. Um, it was not a great moment. Uh, I had a better moment a couple of days ago when I was talking with a graduate student and a postdoc of mine. And we discovered something. We saw something in our data that we had never seen before and no one to our knowledge has ever seen. And um, about how minds when they're uh connecting with each other, um, how they couple and synchronize and just seeing the data, the visualization of that moment, that it was just, that was incredible. I was just, I was telling my kids about it and I, it was, it was wonderful. I didn't, you know, again, I was anticipating seeing the data and I was ready to whatever, but then just seeing that actual visualization of two minds dancing together was just the best. It's amazing. Very cool. Yeah. Keeps you going. I mean, it just like it's uh, Richard Feynman, I think, said, you know, the, the best part of science is the kick in the discovery. You know, this is what we're talking <laughs> yeah. about. How about you, Lori? Yeah. So I have I have two. Also, one that is kind of the a pain that 
that wasn't as bad as it, I thought it was. And the other was one of those just joyous moments. So I hurt my neck somehow. And so today I was at the gym working with my trainer and, um, and all of a sudden, like it just, she started doing some stuff with my neck and all of a sudden, like the whole thing disappeared. And it was almost like I could see clearly again, like this whole thing shifted for just this moment of like, oh my God, I feel so much better. This is great. And you know, that goes away. So that's sort of a moment of delight in that I was anticipating being in pain and suddenly I was not in pain. I was actually feeling great. And, um, and now it hurts again. But the other one was, (laughs) um, I have several that I can think of. Uh, but yesterday I was out skiing and the snow, we had a beautiful snow fall. And so I was out cross country skiing with a friend and we saw just these like little rabbit tracks and just watching where the tracks, how they went and, and, you know, sort of imagining the rabbit, you could see their pattern, what their feet were doing. And it did this little hop off into the distance it was just very sweet and I just felt just yeah just like I was just wholly there in that moment connected with the beauty of the place and the nature and my friend at that moment there was this it was quite profound yeah I have to say that the as thinking back on this the my moments of delight are often connected to my experiences out in the country north of Stockholm and our little around our little cottage and it can range from you know we love mushrooming here right so we're looking for chanterelles and I remember in the beginning of the fall September nothing 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 you know it's just like what's going on they're all really small and then finally we find this place and it's like that dream spot we only find it every couple of years where the ground is just covered with these chanterelles and it's all you can see and you pick as much as you can and then you kind of go to the next step and you close your eyes at night and all you can see are these chanterelles and it's just like wow you know it's like the mushrooms have taken over our brains but it's like such an amazing high that we're on for like yeah a long yeah. period of time and and it's like because you you kind of hope mm. you're gonna find it but you don't really expect yeah. that it's gonna happen and 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 then when it comes it's like oh my god i thought this was going to be great but this is like way greater so, so how do we design for things like this? Because that's kind of the other thing. If we would be conscious of actually designing delightful experiences, what does that look like uh, that's different from what we normally do? Well, Talia and I taught a course, uh, several terms we taught it called, we called it impact design, um, partly because the college didn't like the idea of calling it delight. But the Goal was to better understand <laughs> the word delight and and also to have the students delve into it, to think about how do we create a product and an experience, how do we design it and deliver it that will bring delight to someone. And it's kind of, we worked for uh, two terms with these kids who had severe, they were severely on the autism spectrum. They couldn't go to school. They had to have one-to-one care. Most of them didn't have any language and the beauty about autistic kids is they can't fake it, right? So the goal for the students was to build, design and build a product and, and experience for the students that would bring them delight and then measure uh, how they did. And one of the things that was really clear from this is that it's flipping the question in design, 
in human-centered design, we often are thinking in product design about how do we solve a problem? Let's find the problem. Let's, let's you know, identify it. Let's reframe the problem. Let's make sure we have a really good how might we question, you know, which is really about a problem. How might we solve this thing? And this is flipping it and saying, no, it's not about the problem we're trying to solve. It's about how do we bring a moment of delight to someone? And it's just profound what that does, both for the designer and for the experience of the person who's receiving it. And one of the things we saw was the students were often the first time they would go in and they would observe and then they'd build a prototype and go back with the prototype. And they failed off and they were they were so so trying to fix these kids or get them to pay attention to this or do this thing or stop doing their self stimulation um, behaviors or whatever it was. But when they dropped that and they just said, okay, what does this kid really love? This individual's, you know, young person, what really makes them happy? It was just, they just went into this whole other mode of thinking about the design. It, it transformed them, the students and the products were transformed to like, okay, let's make a moment and then let's make it even better. And then can we make it something that will happen again for these students? And like, yeah, how do we, how do we get there? And they did. I mean, the students were, the autistic kids were so almost always had something where they were paying attention longer, they were engaged more and the staff was crying. They'd never seen anything like it before. It was extraordinarily successful. And so I think that's that's the start of it is ask a different question. That's really interesting. You know, it, it, you're reminding me of so Talia, you're very much into these uh, brain pattern MRIs of of showing the synchronization between people's ex experiences. You just talked about that. We see that in storytelling. We see it in in delight. Right. As designers, we don't really think about that so much. Right. Of actually, we're trying to create these great experiences that people can share cognitively. And I'm wondering, uh, talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing in some of these experiments. We haven't actually done a synchrony delight experiment, although I really would love to, but uh, you're right that share. We what we have seen is when people share uh, something with another person, a delight experience, it sort of multiplies the delight. There's something social about being able to not just um, have a moment by yourself. I mean, that is that can be really delightful, like uh, maybe finding mushrooms by yourself or seeing the you know Lori's bunny. Um, but sharing that with someone else, it just amplifies the experience. Um, so you know, hunting mushrooms with your kids, right? It just sort of amplifies the delight of finding them. And so that's what we expect to find when we we finally do the the brain scans of uh, delight experiences. Fun. So do you have a grant? Is, that's not the grant that you just applied for now, right? <laughs> no, no, this, this grant is, is still uh, looking at how do you, how do you do brain scans of two people yeah. interacting? So the de delight experience and in interaction will be a follow-up grant uh, to that. Wow. Very fun. Yeah. So, you know, Lori, you you talked about problem mm -hmm. solving and it, it gets back a little bit to this. I mean, We've been trained in human-centered design where we're supposed to find wicked problems and, you know, pains and we're supposed to solve them. 
And maybe this is a little bit, but I mean, much of our discipline is framed around that, like find the problem, yeah. solve the problem. That's that sounds like a hard lift. Yeah. Well, I. Yeah, it is that. a hard lift, and and we've Tally and I have talked about this. You know, it's so it's considered real science or really important if you are studying depression mm -hmm. or addiction, and you know, or you're solving a problem with a with a a design in a design challenge of some sort. Um, somehow, that's more important than this thing of creating these moments of delight. And as we are talking together about about this. And working on perhaps writing a book, we one of the things that we kept running up against is, you know, the world is is in some chaos. It was the middle of COVID was, you know, every, things were shut down and people were getting sick and dying and there were wars and earthquakes and climate change and all these really big, big, wicked problems, right? Huge. And here we are, you know, focusing on little moments of delight. And does it seem Pollyannish or does it seem frivolous? Is that less important than these than working on these big problems? And and we grappled with that. And I feel pretty clear that it's the only way forward. This notion of of hope, it gives us something to something to work for. I mean it it we, we I'm not going to be able to solve climate change by myself. I'm going to try, I'll do my best but I'm not gonna be able to solve it. And so what I can do is find some ways that solving it might be, might bring me joy, right? Uh, getting together and doing a big styrofoam recycling thing and running into friends there in the big styrofoam and carrying it and it's falling, you know, or something. I don't know what it is exactly, but that's what's gonna keep me moving and motivated. Sorry, we, we talked about the, what is the opposite of delight? But I think being jaded is also the opposite of delight because delight is about being open to new discoveries, to new ways of thinking about things. And when you're jaded, when you've seen it all before, when you can't be delighted, that's not a recipe for discovering a new solution to something, right? So I think actually to keep ourselves open and exploratory and innovative requires us to be able to have these experiences of um, being delighted, seeing something that's better than we anticipated and, and how, to, how to go for that. It's also interesting, this the idea of moving or motivating people through positive and happiness is something we, you know, we don't really see a lot of that anymore. And, and uh, it's because we're so overwhelmed by the negative. But if we think about it, like, why do people stay in the jobs that they like, you know, or love? It's not because you've solved every problem. It's because they love being there. And when they don't love being there, they try to find something else. And that's true of everything, really. Brands do the same thing. But again, it doesn't really get that much attention because we're, we still feel like we've got to solve problems. You're reminding me of a story, you know, back early in the early days of digital marketing, when no one knew what was going on. Those were the, it was like the Wild West and the metrics weren't there and there weren't any smartphones. So there wasn't entertainment on the phones. It was all online, right? And remember, Lori, we had Flash, mm -hmm. right? And we did all these crazy <laughs> things in Flash to kind of get attention. And I remember I was working for Stowe Mountain Resort we were trying to get them into digital and we sold them for some, I don't know how we did this. We sold them on these 
little banner games. You know, we were doing fold-out banners in the New York Times and Boston Globe, and you hover over it. And it, I, I, I got inspired by this line rider thing where it was this game where you just drew this line. This guy followed, and I said, let's do a game, a skiing, snowboarding game in this banner, interactive, and people can be in their offices in Boston playing this game. So, you know, these guys had no idea what we were talking about, but they were nice enough to give us a budget and do it. And I remember a couple of weeks after, the marketing director he called me up. He's like, I have friends calling me up from Boston right now. They're sitting in their office and they're playing this game and they're like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I can't wait to get to Stowe. And you're like, you know, that was what we were trying to do. Just these little moments of frivolous delight that kind of connected with, it was so much fun. And then like, then came Google ads and Facebook ads and all the other stuff. I was like, oh, it's horrible, right? It's, we, we lost that. But that whole idea of brand and play, we had that for a little bit. We don't, we don't really have that anymore. The businesses aren't really spending any money on that, nor is anyone else. Well, they say they are, right? They put money into delight, delight your customers. There's all kinds of, you know, studies about that. But I don't think that it's a real, I don't think it's really going for the same thing that we're talking about. Maybe it is trying to get moments of happiness and we see the happiness team responds to our query and, you know, all or our complaint that the item never arrived um, or is broken. And, but it's, so there's this, there's a veneer of it, but I think it takes mm. um, a little bit more understanding of human, you know, human centered design, really digging into who are these people and, who are using the product and what would bring that. And it's different and it changes and it's hard. Actually, it's a really hard problem um, to solve of, you know, how do you actually delight someone? It's hard also because of the change, right? Delight is a bit of a moving target. Um, you, you're not, you're less delighted the second time you hear a joke than the first time, right? Once you know the punchline, it, it's sort of the second time you hear it loses something. So once you, you know, you might decide as a business to delight people by every time they, you know, check into the hotel, they get a warm chocolate chip cookie or whatever. But once they know that's exactly what's going to happen, you know, it just becomes part of the routine. And that's not delight. So, I mean, there's a little bit of delight, but it's not quite the same as uh, unex something unexpected. Um, so you have to uh, kind of keep adapting uh, to that and and it and it is about this sort of personal connection with the person. So the, the this idea of delight being the gift of paying attention, I think we think about that as the receiver paying attention, but I think it's also in designing a product, the attention that's going in that is personalized mm -hmm. to the receiver, that attention is conveyed in the product too, and that you know uh, delivers delight on the mm -hmm. other end. You're you're reminding me too of a. Uh of an article I was in the Times or somewhere else a number of years ago where this guy had, he had no cell phone coverage, right? So he was trying to get somewhere in Portugal with a taxi driver. And instead of being able to tell him where he was supposed to go, the taxi driver just kind of took him on this adventure. And then they stopped mm. for, you know, wine somewhere else. <laughs> and they stopped along the way because it was kind of this long ride. And they, the, his conclusion was, you know, thank God I didn't have Google Maps because I never would have discovered all these things, which is what we did when we traveled. We had this paper map, right? And we got lost all the time. This is like, I used to, I do this driving before Google Maps. I'd always drive, mm -hmm. I'd get lost. And then it's like, oh, I know this neighborhood now. So the second and third time, it's like, I, I kind of get it. 
We don't even we don't even give ourselves time to get lost anymore. That just we get really yeah. irritated at that. And that's also interesting. Like, do we how do we build stuff like that into this as a kind of a happiness experience rather than a lost time experience? Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't I we just have to try, right? We just have to keep trying and we have to realize the value of that. I think that's a great analogy, the map thing of of taking the time to look around as opposed to just being turned left at the next street. It's it's just, yeah, being, enjoying the journey, right? It's sort of the, the fr- super highway. Sometimes you need that because you're late for your flight. And sometimes taking the wild, the long and windy road is and getting lost is exactly what you need to do. And that's also some of the some of the complaints about this notion of delighting customers is that all people, you know, it, it can't get in the way of the time. Like when I need to get to the flight, I have no interest in <laughs> something pretty on the side, right? <laughs> I just want to delight will be me getting on that plane. Um, and so so. We it ha, it does have to adapt to these different moments. A single person has different has different needs within it. The quote, by the way, is by May Sarton, and it's um, who's a poet from New Hampshire, actually. And it's the quality of life is in direct proportion always to the capacity for delight, and the capacity for delight mm. is the gift of paying attention. It's a great quote. It's a great quote. We'll put that online when this is done. So one of the other things I'm wondering about is one of the things I've noticed as a designer is we can come in as our with our design tools and our process and our, our designery ideas. But once you layer in kind of the cognitive science layer into that, all of a sudden people pay the pay a lot more attention <laughs> to it. It seems like more real and serious. They're like, oh, and I'm kind of wondering, Talia, you know. How how are you when you do this class with these designers? How are you kind of pushing this whole cognitive science piece on them that they should pay attention to that as they design? Because I think that's probably one of the most interesting things that's happened with the design world in the past five ten years. Actually, our students really seem to appreciate it and uh, wish there was more of it. Actually, in their design classes, that's the feedback I get is that actually learning about what is really happening. When I design this thing, what's really happening sort of under the hood that is creating the effect, the emotion or what have you that I that I want to create? Like, how does it, how does it work? What are the mechanisms involved? And once you understand sort of how the human mind works, then you can design, just like understanding how the mechanics of the body work if you're designing footwear or something like that, right? Understanding how the mind actually works is going to inform what designs will ultimately work, right? That is the whole idea of human-centered design. So I think having um, these sort of, like interleaving the science with the design makes a whole lot of sense. And I think the students are really appreciative of it. So do you guys have any suggestions to the designers or the innovation leads who are in Sweden and they're, you know, they're kind of stuck into this, let's fix a problem, let's make things more efficient, let's, you know, it's all kind of going into this other space, this idea of providing delight and making people happy that like, so what do you, how how would you guys, what would you guys give for a piece of advice to help our little stuck innovation leads? I think I'd start by having them stop and take a breath 
and remember for themselves the things, the same question you asked us, like what, what recently has brought you delight? And then to start asking in their interviews and in their design human, you know, their user research, to start asking different questions and really focusing then on answering those different questions, like flipping it from solving a problem to bringing moments of joy or, or delight or whatever you want to call it to spark for someone, you know, that kind of a moment. How can we spark that? How can we create that? And I think once you start to pay attention to it and give less weight to the problem solving, it really is, as I said, it was profound for the students and fun. And so many of them talk about this class as being just such an, like it just changed their lives, right? It just was, it was just huge. Just one set of students made like a little knock-knock door, you know, because these two girls loved knock-knock jokes. I mean, they started out and they had these elaborate digital drums that played these Disney songs because the girls love Disney. But really what got everybody giggling and the staff just like crying was this door in the middle of the, that was painted really fun. And you, <laughs> you knock on the door and they peek and you say knock-knock and you peek out and they answer, you know, like they just do knock-knock jokes. And through this door in the middle of the room. And it was just like, so simple, right? So simple, <laughs> but extraordinary. Thanks. What you, Talia, what do you have for a piece of advice? Just thinking about the person you're designing, be, putting yourself in that sort of position of if I was, you know, if I was the customer, if I was the client, what would delight me? Um, what kind, putting that sort of attention in, uh, I think, you know, when the kid, when these students were sort of meeting these um, kids with autism, sort of where, where they were, just as Lori was saying, um, and really getting themselves out of this idea that they were going to solve everything um, and just paying attention, just slowing down and listening, then everything sort of changed. Um, and so that would be yeah. my advice. It's interesting too. I just uh, I just wrapped up a really short course on design thinking for uh, these European master students in urban mobility, and it was, again they didn't have much time. And these this one little group they had focused on you know uh, moving around campus. It's a small campus, and and there they ended up with a how might we question. This was pretty good. Like how might we make you know walking in between classes fun instead of kind of this you know must do painful thing. And, and where they ended up, what they built for their prototype was a little app that counted your steps and showed you the shortest route no. to get to class. And so, yeah, right. it was. And so what was great, because I didn't have to do this, all the students were like, okay, does anyone have any feedback? And they all said, this doesn't seem very fun. What happened to all those fun ideas? And they're like, oh, yeah, we kind of we lost that because once we started working yeah. on it. Then they kind of went to, you know, they got out their screwdriver yeah. and their hammer and it's like, it that's, takes that's a lot of, I mean, in a way it's arrogant to think that we can solve problems, right. As designers and for things that we don't know anything about, but it's, it's actually very humbling and human to think about how do I, how do I connect with this, this user, this person so much that I can understand that I want to bring them joy. I actually want to. I mean, there's this moment that you're in this example you gave where they switched from creating happiness to 
solving a problem. Like it's so hard. We're trained to do that. Mm. It's almost goes counter to what's, what's natural for us. And you have to have confidence to stick with it and keep going and push yourself more and more uh, to try and find that. It's often a very simple solution. <laughs> simple is really hard to get to, it turns out. The other thing that's uh, sticking out with this is, Laura, you gave this picture of like solving climate change. And again, when we talk to the futurists, they all talk about creating these stories of the future, these positive stories that we can see ourselves in. And it's not like, you know, we're going to, you know, it's the opposite of the zombie, the last of us that I'm watching on HBO right now, which I can barely get through because it's just so, right? So what those positive stories, those positive pictures of of human joy and happiness are, are another thing we see as a way of motivating people. And maybe that's where the place for this design for delight is. You know the power of, right, Talia, you know the power of storytelling on the brain, mm -hmm. right? We keep telling our, our clients the same thing. You what's the positive story we're moving toward? And again, that's something we're working on, but it's not something that everyone's really putting much effort into. I wonder if that's a place to start of, we need to tell better positive stories about humanity as a way of creating space for joy. Space for joy. That's that's it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for, for chatting with me. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy days. It was great to see you both. And uh, as we go, I'm just wondering if you have any final thoughts for our listeners in Sweden and around the globe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's great to see you too. Um, this is really, really fun. Just take time for delight and joy. It's uh, it's uh, really, really important. It's as important as all the solving problems and you know, very sensible, sort of crushingly sensible and uh, negative things. It's it's these moments of joy that really make life worth living. Thanks. Yeah, and I think um, it's this has been really fun. Thank you, and I. I don't know if there's time, but I, I was thinking about our Kenya experience together. And so, Rich, you and I were in Kenya and we were teaching these young African leaders uh, how to lead these workshops, you know, how to how to become entrepreneurs. And I led the section about pitching and and I made the students think about a food that they loved and pitch it to each other. And it was just, they were so into it as opposed to, you know, do your business idea and think about what the market is and da, da, da. And then telling them, okay, you know that that the way you felt when you talked about that food, that's what you need to do. That's what you need to find in the product that you're selling. So there's, there's implications in business too. Um, but it is always this thing that is elevates the thing that you're trying. If you can capture, if you can really genuinely feel, you know, just what it, what it feels like to eat a certain food that your grandmother cooked for you and the smell of it and the taste, and it takes you back and then sharing that with someone and they connect over it is just pretty profound. And it's right. It is right in there with the notion of delight. I think the thing I'd like to leave viewers with though or listeners with is the idea of uh it's it's a little cliche to say it but it is like a muscle you you have to pay attention today and then you have to start again <laughs> the next you know you have a delight moment okay now 
start the clock again and you keep paying attention. It really is something that the more you have it, uh, the more you the the more you feel good and the more you appreciate it and the more you notice. And so it's it builds on itself. And so uh, don't stop. Great advice. I, I have to admit, Lori, I still use that storytelling exercise all the time with everybody. It's the it's the best exercise I've ever seen. It's so much fun. Hmm. So you just did an amazing job. And I remember asking you, like, how long did it take you to do this? And you're like, oh, I just thought of it last night and I put it together. <laughs> and it's like, it's got legs. I, I think the other, uh, the other thing that's kind of sticking out is so that that time in Africa, that was a, a big moment of delight yeah. for me of working with you mm. there. It was like just way beyond, way beyond everything. And then you came and it was like, oh my God, it just, you can't call this work. It's too much yeah. fun. And it, and it sounds like you and Tali are having the same experience. So there's like, maybe you're the common denominator. I don't think this. so. But <laughs> absolutely. Yes. <laughs> It's true. Well, thanks, but I, I I don't know that that's true, but I do really enjoy collaborating with people and especially with people who are open and can offer some uh, new way of thinking about it. Working with Talia is just such such a delight. I mean, it's I love that there's that there's science with it. And I love how, you know, just sort of creative and that no, and and open Talia is. I've never met anybody quite like you, Talia. This is our love fest, but um, <laughs> it's true. It's really true. Um, what? Yeah. So we just keep, you know, back and forth with each other. And it's pretty great. Like the same way you and I did, Rich. But, but a little more fun. I, I kind of get that. So, and I think too, like Talia, thanks so much for coming because I think we, we can talk about these things, but I mean, you're you're a brain scientist, right? <laughs> you you know a lot about you know about more of this, and I think that just adds a, such an amazing dimension to this. And I'm going to post this on the site too. I told you about this before when I was before when I was planning the podcast. I of course Googled you, and I find this you know this YouTube video of this the host of Hidden Brain and you and David Byrne from Talking Heads, and it's just like. Wow. <laughs> that was just That's wow. Fun. I've shown that to everyone I work with. I've shared it with my whole family and friends. It's just like Yeah. So that's been oh, really cool having you. you on this podcast. Thanks. I really love this intersection with design and science and neuroscience and art. I mean, this is what uh is is super fun, right? So I'm just happy to be here. Great. Well, thanks for uh spending some time with me and maybe I'll see you at graduation in June. I hope so. That would be great. <laughs> great. Yes. <laughs> That'd be great. All right. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Innovation Explorers, Hello Future's English podcast that dives into the challenges and rewards of innovation. You've just heard a chat with Professors Lori Loeb and Talia Wheatley of Dartmouth College discussing how we can design for joy, delight, and hope rather than just trying to solve problems something that gets short shrift in today's hectic social media dominated life. If you want to chat in person, either in real life or virtually, you can book a fik, as we say in Sweden, with me anytime. This is Rich Nadwarney from Hello Future. See you next time.